one meaning of today's readings could be very easily summarized in the first line that we heard from the book of wisdom. God did not make death, nor does he rejoice in the destruction of the living. Of course, we know that God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. The life offered to us through the passion and death of our Lord is the central mystery of our faith. But there is a deeper meaning to today's readings that needs to be pulled out as well, and that is the matter of how we are to respond in the face of distressing circumstances, even in times when we might very well be tempted to despair, to doubt the Lord's concern for us in our time of trouble, or to wrongly think that he simply does not or cannot help us. And so St. Mark gives us two separate distressing circumstances in today's gospel, each with its own implication. On the one hand, we have a young girl who, having her whole life ahead of her, has fallen deathly ill and is even later considered to be dead. St. Mark tells us that while her father seemed to have at least a frail hope that the Lord could heal her, he was the only one. Everyone else either chastised him for bothering the Lord with his distress or laughed at his faith that the Lord could indeed save the girl. On the other hand, we have an older woman who suffered a hemorrhage for 12 years, an affliction which would have rendered her ritually impure and thus unable to have any contact with the religious rites of the temple and therefore with God. In other words, she was facing a situation in which something which clearly caused her great suffering had the apparent side effect of also cutting her off from a true relationship with the Lord. This was not a matter of her own infidelity to the faith, but of an apparent barrier between her and God. She even sought out help to cure her from this affliction, but every doctor had given her the same hopeless news. She was simply cut off, abandoned, perhaps, by the Lord. And so how does our Lord respond? Well, you know the story. In the case of the older woman, she simply approaches the Lord, touches his garment, and is healed. But what is really going on here at a deeper level? In fact, what is happening is that this woman, who previously relied on the things of the world to save her, the medicine and techniques of her doctors, tells herself that it, she but has contact with the Lord, not asking him to deliver her, not telling him, telling him to make her well, but simply coming close to him and being with him, that in itself would be enough. She would again have contact with God and thus be cured. And so what happens? She approaches the Lord, she touches his garment, and she is healed. But was it the garment that healed her? No. Christ himself tells her, your faith has saved you. It wasn't that this woman had performed some action that merited her a miracle. She simply believed. Despite her affliction and despite what everyone else in the world seemed to tell her that she was in a hopeless situation, she believed that the Lord would not abandon her. She was not barred from contact with him. And so she was healed. What about the little girl? Her father comes up and begs the Lord to heal his dying daughter. And so the Lord goes off with him to meet her where presumably all will witness a sick girl be healed. 
But along the way, she dies. Jesus didn't make it. He could have been there in time, but he wasn't. It's the story of Lazarus all over again. Mary cries out, Lord, if you would have been there, my brother would not have died. But this time, instead of Jesus himself being accused of not being there in time, it's the girl's father who is chastised. Your daughter has died, they say. Why trouble the teacher any longer? This is the accusation of the enemy. Each time we fall into the sickness of sin, the enemy accuses us and tells us, why do you trouble yourself? You are already dead. You can't be saved. The Lord doesn't want to save you because you are lost. We heard it in the book of wisdom. By the envy of the devil, death entered the world, and they who belong to his company experience it. But how does our Lord respond? The translation we're giving here isn't quite the best. St. Mark tells us that Jesus, having heard the words that were spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, but believe. And so he goes to the house. He sees the wailing and doubting crowds outside, and he still enters the girl's room and raises her up. Little girl, I say to you, arise. The answer in both of these situations is hope. St. Paul writes in his epistle to the Romans, as we have all heard many times before, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. You see, that is the real temptation we face in our distress. It's not simply that we doubt if God can help us. It's that we lose hope. St. Bernard of Clairvaux writes, No matter how cruelly you be afflicted, think not that you are forsaken, but remember that it is written, I am with him in tribulation. I will deliver him, and I will glorify him. When we are in distress, we can fool ourselves into thinking that the Lord is not there. He's too busy with the crowds. He's not going to make it in time to save us. If only he would have stopped this before it all happened. But he was with the little girl while she was sick. His spirit moved her father to find the Lord and to beg him to come. He was with the hemorrhaging woman. She wasn't going around looking for Jesus. He came to her town, and she saw him passing by. So too, we often don't see how the Lord is with us in trouble, but hope does not disappoint. I'm not trying to give you a cliche. Oh, you have to have faith and he will save you. No, in both cases, it was the hope of these two people that moved them toward the Lord. In some sense, the only thing that saved them both was that they totally placed their trust in the Lord. They weren't going to trust the world any longer, nor were they going to listen to what the world was telling them, telling them to give up. In the same way, when we find ourselves in these times of distress, we must have hope, a hope which will compel us to look our Lord in the face and to tell him, Lord, I don't know why any of this is happening, but you can do all things. I hope in you because you are the only hope of all the world. That isn't a prayer which is asking our Lord to do anything for us. To have hope is to trust the Lord without knowing what it will mean down the road, and that can be tough. It's much easier to know the way, 
That was Thomas's issue. When Christ was trying to teach the apostles about what was ahead for him, and therefore for them as well, Thomas asked, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? But that is the wrong question. Christ isn't asking us to know where we are going or how he is working, or what he will have us do for him. He just keeps telling us again and again and again, do not be afraid, but believe. And so he tells Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's our answer too. When we are in the face of distress, Christ is the way. Christ is our hope, our only hope. So do not be afraid.